are listening to the Down the Wormhole podcast, exploring the strange and fascinating relationship between science and religion. This week, our hosts are... I'm Rachel Jackson, rabbi at Agudas Israel Congregation in Hendersonville, North Carolina. And I do have a junk drawer in my house, and the weirdest thing in it is an orange peel peeler. And that's weird because one, it's weird. Two, it's weird because we don't actually bring in oranges to the house. So it serves literally no purpose. Zach Jackson, UCC pastor in Reading, Pennsylvania, and I have so many junk drawers in my house, and several of them have nothing in them except for wires and adapters to things that I don't have anymore, but one day might possibly, probably need, and so I can't get myself to part with them. My name is Adam Pryor. Uh, I work at Bethany College in Lindsborg, Kansas. Probably the weirdest thing that resides uh, in my junk drawer at my office is the European adapter for electronics. It's not like I'm traveling to Europe all that much. I probably <laughs> could could put it elsewhere, but it remains in the top drawer of my desk. Oh, top drawer. Special Been there a long time. Uh, Ian Benz, Associate Professor of Elementary Science Education at UNC Charlotte. And strangest things I have in my junk drawer are several uh, things I 3D printed for the kids that they slowly broke over time. And instead of throwing them away, they just end up in there. So nothing too exciting, but... What did you 3D print? Uh, like just different areas of Harry Potter stuff or containers or uh, Star Wars things. You know, the usual. So the usual stuff the for usual. my house. <laughs> I think that is actually an excellent explanation of what junk is. Something that's broken Mm -hmm. um, or something that you don't use ever, ever again, right? Like Zach, you said your wires and adapters and stuff like that. I mean, these are not things that we're using. Um, I could have mentioned my my floppy. Um, For those young among you, that is something that you put into a computer a long time ago to store your information. It has less space than <laughs> what you can send in a text message these days. It looks like the save icon in Microsoft Word. That's right. It actually used to be something. And when I say floppy, I actually have a floppy floppy. Not like those really hard floppies, but like the like old the original, with the like giant the hole. Big ones? Mm. Um, yeah, like that you could actually, you know, bend back and forth literally zero purpose these days so yeah that was my attempt at a segue zach to say why (laughs) are we talking about junk that we still keep and we haven't yet figured out how to throw it away well, I have one actually. Um, not a segue. Well, it is a segue, but a wire. Um, I mentioned that I have so many wires and adapters in my life, and every time that one comes in handy, I it just reinforces the bad habit of keeping all of them. But I don't. I don't even know if this one works anymore. Um, and I have a thousand micro USB cables anyway, so I'm just gonna. throw it on the floor (laughs) and ask you, do I have a moral responsibility to pick it up in my little recording studio? 
Moral? I'm going to say no. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a morality no. issue. It's on the floor behind me where it was for the past year at least. <laughs> who, who else uses your recording studio? Yeah. I mean, you got... It's just me and sometimes a cricket or two. And the kids, do the kids ever figure out a way to get in there? No, no, it's in the basement. Okay. So th- what if I were to throw it in my living room on the floor? Do I have a moral responsibility to pick it up? Well, your kids are old enough to know not to put wires in their mouth. That doesn't mean they won't. And there's, there's, But there's probably wires everywhere else. It is that. So I'm going to go still with no on the morality. Do I have a moral responsibility oh. to pick it up if I, th- if I throw it in the yard? Oh, definitely in the yard. But I'm going to go yes on the living room, too. Okay. Adam is the more moral of the group. Yeah, I'm still struggling. No one is surprised by that. I guess I want to know, like, you know, what would be your specific definition of moral responsibility? I I don't know. We're going to get to that later. Right now, just go with your gut. I think you have a responsibility. I throw it in my backyard, my backyard that I own. I throw it in my backyard in the grass. Yes. Do I have a moral responsibility to clean it up in my backyard? Yes. Did you sign a covenant okay. when you moved into that area that you had to keep your backyard a certain way? <laughs> then yes. Or you could have a car in your Lord yard. Knows I did not. Because <laughs> it is full of plastic junk from my kids, the toys that they have that my dogs have chewed on. Yeah. So, okay. Now, now you're starting to get a little bit more uh, that I'm a monster. So what if I were to be walking down the outside and it falls out of my pocket into a river. Do I have a moral responsibility to get it out of the river? Yes. As long as you don't kill yourself. If you're impacting, so. now you're starting to, even though you could argue that you're impacting other species and in your backyard, you definitely are in there. The argument what if I were easier. walking past a launch pad and of a, a rocket that was going into deep space and I taped it to the outside of it. Can, it's just going to end up out in deep space. Do, do I have a moral responsibility to um, not do that? Yes, but there's a couple <laughs> things I really want to unpack in that scenario. <laughs> you know, what kind of clearance do you have that you get yeah, that close like to it? how you're able to get that close to it? I, 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 if you're able to do that, I I'm would not like at liberty to take it. <laughs> Um, it's a nasaku <laughs> yeah too soon <laughs> there may or may not be a picture of me uh standing in front of the orion um prototype space capsule that they were designing years ago and they said now make sure you don't touch it and my hand is behind me just resting on the prototype <laughs> but it was never going to go into space and that was like 11 years ago so i don't think i'm i think statute of limitations is out so i'm okay Right, getting it off your conscience. Yeah. Um, yes. Anyone from the FBI is listening right. today. <laughs> I'm going to okay. answer your question, though, and still say yes. Okay. So then, like, Elon Musk sending his Tesla Roadster into deep space. It's not deep space. It, it's in a heliocentric orbit right now. Mm-hmm. But, like, is that is that a, a breach of some kind of moral responsibility to the universe? To intentionally litter like that? Well, I think it was what he was doing. Yeah. Why did he send his car up there? It's a PR stunt. People to pay attention. Because he could, is the answer. But. And then, yes. You then look at the, uh, what that 
stunts stunts like that can do to in, you know increase interest in space exploration. So, as we've discussed in the past. Mm, so now you've got a utilitarian sense of morality here. A little bit. But then you also have the con- okay. the thought of, you know, and this was interesting. I, I just started watching uh, last week, I guess it was, the second uh, series of uh, Cosmos that um, Neil deGrasse Tyson did that came out last year. Um, and in it, he talked about one of the uh, spacecraft that was, you know, plunged into Jupiter's uh, atmosphere to blow up and the reason why they did that. And it was, you know, they had that responsibility of making sure that their concern was, is if they did not do that, it would have, it could eventually impact one of Jupiter's moons, um, which could have a pretty potential significant um, issue emerge Mm. there because of us littering and impacting that ecosystem. Hmm. I guess for a more general is that because they were were not sure if life exists on those moons? Yes. And they were worried about potentially impacting some microbial life on those mm-hmm. moons? Because this is where I want to take this conversation today. I, I'm really interested in thinking and talking about space junk and our moral responsibility <laughs> as humans for the junk we leave in space. Because the, the, the grow like, up, boys. Adam, Adam is going to laugh first. <laughs> you did. Just, I didn't say anything. Of, I'm just sitting here. I'm sorry, Zach. I just had to interrupt because our listeners can't see faces <laughs> and non-verbal communication. So just gonna push right through. Yeah, I couldn't. <laughs> I, look, we were, we were just even... doing like the human body and stuff in homeschool and sex ed with my son, so he's learning all the names for slang for private parts. So this has been excellent for me. <laughs> well, teach him space junk. Yeah, the oh, Ian. Don't forget to talk to him about the Ian, okay? The Ian. That's right. right. Ian and space junk. Ian. Yeah. yeah. Got it. All right. Sorry, Zach. You're very passionate about space junk. <laughs> I am passionate about space junk. Thank you, Rachel. And not the kind that you're talking about. Not astronaut not junk. I'm talking about, like, stuff. Trash. Space trash. There you go. How about that? Space garbage. Because, like, my illustration with the USB cable, when I threw it on the ground in, in my studio, it only affects me. And so it seems like, well, he probably doesn't have any kind of moral responsibility here. He's not he's not sinning against someone else by littering his own space. Upstairs, it was like, well, that's a shared space. It might impact another human. Outside, even though it was my yard, y'all were pretty much like, this is not okay. Like the moment it leaves my house, it could potentially affect wildlife and it's sullying some patch of nature that I have. And it seems like once we start to talk about how things affect other living things, then it feels like we have some kind of moral responsibility. And uh, there's a lot of religious language throughout most religious traditions that I can think of about um, about this. Like my favorite example from um, from the Bible is is when um, God is telling them how to properly siege a city. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> go ahead, do your war thing, siege them, starve them, kill them, whatever. But don't you dare chop down their fruit trees mm-hmm. because you are not at war with trees. And if you chop down the fruit trees, then you're done for. Yep. Where it's the it's best. Like, don't sully nature. 
that nature has rights in and of itself. And I think that's pretty easy for us to get to. Um, but then when it talk about like minerals and rocks and non-living things, then it gets a little kind of iffy. And Rachel wants to pop out and say something. <laughs> I was raising my hand. I didn't want to interrupt. But I really wanted to take that idea and just just throw in a little bit of information. Um, us Jews have a holiday that's actually coming up. Um, I don't know exactly when we're going to be publishing this article versus when we're or this the show today versus when we're talking about it. But this this year the holiday is called Tubishvat, and it is the New Year of the Trees, and it happens um, at the end of January, where we literally celebrate all the gifts that the trees have given us. The fruits, the nuts, the shade, the planting, our connection, and we use the phrase "bal tashrit," um, uh, masters or stewards of all creation, and mm. it's all creation. It's not just a tree. So that that goes into your rocks, right? Rocks are a part of its creation. So I just wanted to insert that here. Mm. So. I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> and I think that probably will have passed by the time that this episode yeah. launches. This will be two weeks from now. So, yeah. Um, so we will have celebrated the trees. So I, I just, uh, if you don't mind me interrupting, I just shared a, a link in our chat to um, space.com's uh, page on Space Junk and um, happened to see that uh, Netflix is apparently releasing a sci-fi film about Space Junk Salvage in February. Really? Yeah. And all of these, all of these will be in the show notes. Now, that's an excellent segue, Ian, because... As a part of our, our new Patreon perks, for those who give $5 or more a month, the second Sunday of every month at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, we're having a Netflix watch party where we're watching together through this wonderful service where we can watch it and chat in real time together, as long as we have a Netflix account, and watch these things and talk about it. So we are definitely going to watch a movie about space junk Absolutely. if it's coming up on Netflix. In February. And thank you for that. It'll be our first one. <laughs> maybe, we'll make, maybe we'll make that our first one. I'll have to watch it first. If it's if it's garbage about garbage, then maybe not. <laughs> but, and then, then we can watch that octopus movie or something. Yes. Um, Oh, right. Oh, so amazing! It's Valentine's Day, oh, so it's amazing. I, I love cephalopods, but we're not talking cephalopods, not- though they are kind of alienish, and maybe they oh. are from another planet, and we should respect them. But anyway, back to junk and rocks. Back to space garbage. Um, because I don't know if you know, oh listener at home, but space junk is a big, big problem. Um, and because it's not something that we see, we don't think about it as a problem. Like, like you know about the great garbage patch in the in the Pacific, because we've got video of this and boats that go through all the garbage and whatnot. And we've all seen pictures. Those of us who were alive in the 90s can remember seeing those uh, soda rings around the, 
the necks of the turtles and um, like whoever whoever had the public service project to convince us to clip those things needs to be the one in charge of of getting people to wear their masks because I feel like that was a really good uh, a good program. But anyway, currently. According to the U.S. Space Surveillance Network, they are tracking 23,000 pieces of debris the size of a softball or larger in our orbit, and an additional 500,000 objects larger than a centimeter also orbit Earth, which might not seem like a whole lot, but when you think about the how fast are things moving through orbit, like tens of thousands of miles per hour. 17,500 miles an hour. 17,000? It, it it has or the or power, even something that's like the size of like a, a walnut has the power to go through the space station if if it is going at that speed. And so like it doesn't have to be something giant in order to cause a big problem to other things that are up there. I mean, we've had nine active satellites that have been destroyed or disabled by debris. Um, the space station crew ha- have had to jump into their escape capsules a number of times because they thought they might collide with something. And so right now, there are currently 6,000 satellites circling our planet. Okay, We've we've only ever launched about 10,000 ever. So there's 6,000 up there right now doing their work. They're the ones that are giving us GPS and are giving us telecommunications that are taking pictures of Earth that are giving us data about, about hurricanes and storms and climate and like all the things that make modern the modern world work are happening because of these 6000 satellites and only about 40% of those are actually working right now 60% of satellites up there are dead and are just orbiting as dead pieces of junk um <laughs> worth noting of those 6000 that are up there about 1000 of them are from um, SpaceX as a part of the um, the Starlink um, uh, web of satellites that they're putting up there to send high-speed internet to the whole world. They've got a 1,000 up there right now. They have permission to send up uh, 12,000 total to, to create this web around the world to, so that they can sell internet to every part of, of the, the planet. Um, so imagine going from 6,000 to 12,000 just from them, and they've got a, a proposal to the FCC right now to bump that number up to 42,000 satellites from 30. just yep. SpaceX. And that's just one company. You know, they're not the only ones who are trying to make this um, satellite internet thing work. Amazon got approval last year to send up 3,000 more uh, one web is another one that is sending up thousands and thousands more. So there is currently no law about about getting rid of those satellites once they, once they've been up there. There's a kind of there's a there's a standard that NASA sets for American ones that like they after they're done working they should come down within 25 years. Oh, which. It's kind of very generous, um, but they don't have to. There's no law. There's no rule. And there's no, um, no there's no borders up there. So who's enforcing this? Even the UN 
has these like handshake agreements with countries, but they don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And and if like a defunct satellite crashes into a functioning satellite, the 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 country whose satellite crashed into it is supposed to pay for the damages, but they can just say, "Well, nobody saw it happen. We don't know exactly who whose satellite mm-hmm. that was." Can't prove it with me. So nobody, yeah, nobody will pay out for this, and nobody is going to take care of it. And we are about to find ourselves in a really bad situation through something called the Kessler effect. Have you all heard of this? You should talk about it. It's basically an awful cascade of destruction in low Earth orbit, in which if you have a big satellite um, that crashes into another satellite, it will create a, a spray of pieces which will then crash into other ones, which will then crash into other ones and other ones until they're all crashing into each other and blocking out all communication and all satellites. And then you just have this impassable ring of junk surrounding our planet. Yeah. This is not something that's like science fiction. NASA itself says that if we were to stop sending satellites today, and nobody sends any more satellites up into space, we will continue to have more and more space junk forming because of these collisions that are already happening. So it will not be enough to just be more responsible with our satellites from here on out. We have to develop ways of cleaning up the stuff that's up there right now. The active debris removal. Yeah, the active debris removal. Um, uh, probably the biggest target right now is the um, uh, the Invisit uh, satellite. It was a weather satellite. It's one of the largest ones that was ever sent up by the ESA, the English Space in English European Space Agency. Um, it's going to take another 150 years to come down on its own. It's massive, and they calculate that it passes within. 600 feet of at least two cataloged pieces of space junk every year. And if that were, if something were to collide with that, that would be like, there we go. Kessler effect. We're starting to knock out satellites left and right. And we're screwed. Does that mean we wouldn't be able to record anymore? (laughs) Because right now we're, I mean, we've always been virtual, but we got to do something about this. That mm. means we can't record this podcast. That's right, listeners. This podcast <laughs> might be in trouble. And this is the primary call concern. People. <laughs> call your representatives. <laughs> I want to hear that phone call. Uh, down the wormhole may go down the wormhole if you guys don't fix this problem. So, Oh, man. <laughs> Luckily, the ESA is going to fix this. Um, or so they say. Um, well, they're sending up a... They're planning to send up a small garbage truck, essentially, that is going to go up and grab it with little robot arms, give it a big hug, and then pull them both into the into the planet and burn them both up. So it's, it's essentially a suicide mission for the little garbage truck, um, except it's going to cost $140 million dollars to go up and get rid of one satellite in orbit. So that's not 
I, it's not. It's not. So it's not good. One, it doesn't scale. Very I think well. we could tell a great the little engine that could variation on the garbage <laughs> truck cleaning up space junk. I just say that's a children's book that I would buy, but <laughs> but there is that's there, such a dark ending. <laughs> there there is this like real question of like um, the cost of cleaning up space junk. Re- really, really makes it difficult to justify doing it, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, when you when you when you talk about it being one hundred forty million dollars to basically pull down one unused satellite, right? Out of the tens of thousands that are there, it becomes a really difficult prospect to sell, and you can you can pretty quickly see why space junk becomes a a real problem, right? Like. I mean, essentially, we we sort of half-cocked, just started shooting stuff off into space and said, you know, it'll be okay. We'll never get to a point where we've put so much up there that it'll be a problem, right? This, this, this is like, it, it, it was like, you know, <laughs> democratic hoarders, right? We were just like, we can just keep putting stuff up there. It'll it'll be, we won't ever have to worry about it again. Space, it's okay. Who cares? Right, it's space. Who cares? It'll go away, yep. right? Like, you know, and in roughly 50 to 60 years time, you know, we filled up the attic <laughs> is, is I think the analogy worth drawing. Like, you know, maybe our little space robot that could be compared to the little engine that could, could also be called American pickers. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so which um, I'm looking at something right now and I'm seeing something called end of life services by Astroscale demonstration mission that apparently is this the one you're talking about when you're talking about they're long i just put it in our chat it's being launched what is a um the test astroscale to test space junk cleanup tech with a, a launch um in march apparently um yeah a lot of this technology has never been tried before right um and it relies on a whole lot of really complicated physics because you need to get up there, you need to, like, we don't know if, if like, this gigantic telescope, we don't know if it's tumbling right now, which will complicate how it interacts with the garbage truck, um, because you need to be able to harness it and then move it in such a way that it then collides with Earth without hitting any other satellites. And even, even when it grabs it, it's not going to, like, grab it and then, like, fall down in 10 minutes we're talking about it gradually then coming back down a lot of of different space agencies have have worked out um some other things there's there's some uh the japanese especially have been working on some uh like microbots like think like a foot little Mm -hmm. cubes that have nets that's what i've been thinking about Seems so low tech, right? That you'd send a little cube into space with a net that would then a, a net and then like a, a sail. Mm-hmm. So it like grabs it with the net, throws the sail up, and it throws off the orbit until it falls into Earth. They're gonna Marie Kondo space. <laughs> <laughs> this does not bring me this joy anymore. Joy. <laughs> <laughs> this one doesn't bring me joy. <laughs> Shoot out the harpoon and attach a net to it. Let it bring itself down. But, but, but I, actually, this idea of a net, especially for the little things, right? I mean, that giant, the giant one, yes, that needs a 
very particular piece. But I mean, Zach, as the things you were talking about, right, 23,000 things, the size of a marble or the size, excuse me, the size of a golf ball is what they're tracking. Those are not big. They don't necessarily need all these huge things. And I'm just thinking about, again, no disrespect to all the major physicists out there who do incredible work. I don't have that brain. I don't know what they do. But I'm thinking we pick up, we, royal we, um, dirt from Mars, right? Like we figured out how to collect rocks from Mars, from Earth. It feels like we could send something to the LEO, um, the low Earth orbit, have it reach out and grab things, right? The claw, right? Like 50 cents, put your claw in, which one are you going to, right? Which toy, which cuddly you're going to get out? And you just put it in your net or just like take a little net and sweep it because if they're tracking it, they know where it is. So they can go after it and find it and be like, ah, I gotcha. Right? Like a video game, right? We just need some video gamers um, to just <laughs> be at the controls and be like, I'm going to get it. <laughs> so it's a huge problem. I get that. I also wonder if we are making it more complicated than, than it has to be. Why are we making fun of the low-tech solution, right? Keep it simple. No, the, the Russians are working on this uh, – this awesome idea with this like sticky foam yeah, that it comes near it and it shoots it with the sticky foam and then, then keeps going and then sticks something else to it and then something else to it. Like uh, Katamari Damashi, like that PlayStation game where it keeps rolling the ball bigger and bigger and bigger until it falls into the earth. Um, That's something that they're actually working. So there's a couple of logistical issues. Uh, Obviously there's a million of them, but We don't know whose junk this is. Some of them, like the satellites, we know whose it is. But But all of the booster rockets that are up there, there's there's lens caps from the different from the different satellites. There's all these bolts and pieces of paint and stuff that we don't know who it belongs to. And it's going to cost a lot of money to clean it up. Uh, One of the um, Hubble servicing missions several years ago, when um, you know one of the uh, astronauts, the uh, the tool slipped from his hand. And it mm-hmm. slowly floated away, and now it's just orbiting. And we got mm-hmm. all little things like that, right? So, yeah. So you think like this? This English, this uh, European mission is going to cost 140 million dollars to clean up one satellite. So uh, who's going to fund something that's hundreds of millions of dollars to clean up someone else's garbage? When you think like we have we have issues at home we have to deal with. We're dealing with COVID and with our economies and having to modernize our energy sector. We can't be spending hundreds of millions of dollars to clean up the Chinese satellites. They need to pony up and do this. And so we've hmm. now we've got this international issue of of convincing other countries to pay for it when we don't want to pay for it. Doesn't that go to your morality question? It does. Oh, Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, it, it, to my mind, right, like it's it's a variation of what sometimes gets called like the collective inquiry issue, right? So when we can't attribute direct responsibility, right, or when we can even sort of like widen this a little bit, right, um, when the, the ties of responsibility have become so tenuous because they've been so distanced for so long that we can't reasonably reattribute to them, right? We run into this issue of how it is that you democratically motivate people to deal with that issue, right? Mm. I think, to my mind, right, the space junk problem looks a lot like the uh, 
problem that we face in environmental ethics. Like those are those are part and parcel, right, of the same same issue, right? How you deal with cleaning up the ocean is not different than how you deal with cleaning up space. And as a species, we've been pretty bad at dealing with the sorts of moral and ethical problems that stem from these questions of collectivity. We're just not real good at it, Hmm. right? Which kind of makes sense, right? If you think evolutionarily, we had great systems for dealing with uh, moral problems with a definite actor. Cast that person, sorry, my language was slipping, cast that person out, right? They're no longer part of the community. Everything's fine. If they die off in the wilderness by themselves, no big deal, right? Because everyone else is bought into this collective ideal and we can hold on to a sense of responsibility. But, you know, our sort of notion of nation states and the way that we've organized don't deal with these collective problems that span more than one place. And I would argue, right, when it comes to space junk, relying on something like place-based ethics, right, or thinking about our moral accountability in terms of that, like, in-group, out-group situation based on place is going to fail real bad over and over and over again. There's There's your happy note for the day. It's a wonderful bit of symbolism that all of the American flags on the moon are bleached white at this point because of the sun huh. and there's the, the lack of atmosphere on on the moon that like we went up there as a triumph of American exceptionalism in the face of the USSR and we are the greatest nation in the world we planted all these flags up there but like they're all white now <laughs> that it, it's fairly meaningless that it was Americans that did that and not the Chinese or the Russians or someone else. It would have been the same flag now. Right. Hmm. That's beautiful. White flags and bags of poop, right? That's what we left behind. (laughs) Well, I think then it gets back down to like the morality question of who decides what is moral. Right, like the moral. You were talking about moral responsibility. Is that moral relativity? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, who gets to determine is if it's a moral responsibility or not? And then if it is agreed to that it's a moral responsibility, like who agrees to that? And then you know you'll solve. Yeah, right. Like I mean, it's hard for you all to hear that you're morally deficient because you leave things in your living room. But exactly, I I know that's the case. So. <laughs> Don't come to my house then. I'm a really immoral person. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I want to push on this. I mean, and and I just, I'm just moving past Adam's um, downer. Uh, thank you for that. You could just take that out, Zach. And <laughs> I don't think we've asked the question: Why do we care? So. In relation to Adam's statement that, well, it's very similar to 
um, earth ecosystem based, you know, in the oceans and we see all the garbage and the fat and whatever, right? We have all these horrible pictures from around the, the world and we care because we live here. We care, right? We care about the Amazon rainforest because that's how we breathe, right? That, that it becomes, okay, we get it. What's in it for me? Well, that I actually can live in a place, that I can breathe in a place, that I'm not going to die. It's very social. It's very human-centered. In space, we don't live there. We're not even planning on living there. We're planning on living on another planet, but we're not planning on living in space. So if we're thinking about, you know, part of the question is, why is this a moral responsibility? And also, why should I care? Truly, why should I care about space junk? Is it because... As you're, you know, as you were saying that it's about, well, it's going to one, one marble is going to run into oh, uh, something the size of a marble is going to run into a satellite and that satellite is going to run into all the other satellites and then things are going to come crashing down. So what? Does that, so we're just put back into the 1950s before all the satellites were put up there, then it's really just human centered and that's just really... If that's our issue, then that's one reason to clean it up so that we can maintain this lifestyle that we want, that with SpaceX, everybody in the world can have high-speed internet, right? That everyone can use data from no matter where you are, on the top of the Himalayas, down into the Gobi Desert, wherever. And if that's our goal, fine. But is our goal to keep space clean for what purpose other than us and our comfort and our lifestyle? Why do I care? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody cared about space junk until it started potentially affecting us. Right. When it was just floating there, it doesn't matter. Is it then our living room? So, Zach, when you're talking about or our podcasting sound room, is that just an expansion of the human? Is that just our house? And does it actually matter? Or is it out there? Is it out in the public sphere? I have a story. It's not a downer story, I promise. Despite the fact that I just want to be clear, you teed that up so well for us to go way downhill, and I'm going to resist the urge. So instead, I'll I'll tell this happy story, right? Like, so when I was buying a house, I was talking with a with a biology professor, and we were we were comparing notes about using floor sanders and why you would or wouldn't and how that works and why it's a messy process and it's horrible and really difficult to do. And, um, and, and he, he put this quip in my mind, which just sort of reshaped, right. The way that I was thinking about this process. Right. Um, so I live in a house that's over a hundred years old now. Um, and as I think about the projects that need to be done on it, um, I, I keep in mind this, bit where he said, um, I, I think about the fact that even in the house that I own, I'm just renting it until the next person moves in, right? Um, mm-hmm. This sense that even in a place where there's a, maybe the most iconic symbol of private property that we have, particularly in the U.S., right? That it's really a, a space that you're temporarily using, right? In 40 30, 20, 30, 40, 50 years time, right? Someone else will be 
building upon and dealing with and inheriting the consequences of the strange decisions um, that the Swedish carpenters in this town have made about how to uh, deal with um, sagging beams, right? Framing our sense of belonging in terms of that notion of sharing, um, renting, um, or, right, if we want to take a little more of a religious turn, right, being gifted hmm. um, for this time, I think really drastically changes the way in which we think about that notion of responsibility. But I, don't, I think if we don't do that, it's really hard for me to come up with a leg to stand on other than we're all going to die if we don't deal with this, <laughs> right? By which to motivate a set of moral actions, mm. right? Like to my mind, I look at space junk and I'm like, you have two options. We're all going to die. So you better take care of it. Right. Which I think is hard for people to fathom, right? It goes up there. It's gone. Or this isn't my space to do whatever I want in. That is something that transcends space junk and is really something that we are reckoning with in a post-colonial world. That whatever you think, whatever you own, whatever land you land on, that the earth is just a dead thing you can claim. These are the colors of the wind. But I know every rock, tree, and creature. Right? I mean... I don't know if that's going to mess with our copyright singing Pocahontas, but um, no, that is this this feeling of entitlement that we can walk into any space on Earth, no matter if someone's living there or not. We can walk, in, we can fly into any space on the planet, on in orbit, onto other planets, and we don't need to think too much about what we do and leave there until it impacts us. Mm-hmm. Until it impacts us. Now, I mean, you've you've mentioned last time, Adam, how much work NASA puts into sterilizing things because they don't want to bring any life to another planet because they don't want to contaminate it because they want to know if there is life on another planet. And so it seems like we've got we've got a hint of this, mm -hmm. but only when it is potentially impacting another life form. Mm -hmm. We don't have a good way of motivating us to think about inert uh, inert forms of of matter yeah blame aquinas i Why? i would love to uh right well i mean we could blame <laughs> for those of us too, for those but, of us less familiar with him <laughs> yeah when in doubt i like to blame aquinas before anyone else um, that's fair no uh like right like this is basically a variation of the great chain of being why is it easier to how do we determine what has moral worth and to what extent, right? Um, life is more complicated and higher up on the chain of being than rocks. Life mm -hmm. gets more, right? Complicated life that reacts to us gets more than simple life that doesn't seem like it does anything, right? Animals, plants, right? Yeah. So you can, you can play this game out, right? Like 
This is what Aquinas is deeply, deeply famous for, right? Like laying out the great chain of being in an explicit scholastic fashion, right? This was, this was the structure of doing like moral ethics through the Middle Ages. I mean, unless you were Neoplatonic, but you know, then you weren't in with the Vatican and so nobody read your stuff until like at least 600 years later. Um, I mean, those people were cool. But, you know, if you did the scholastic thing, like, it's no wonder that we ended up with this very strong sense of um, property and also of a hierarchy of the complicatedness of features entailing more ontological and moral worth. But the same Bible that Aquinas was using declared that when God created the lifeless sun and moon and earth declared it was good. Yeah. But, I mean, clearly not quite as good as us, right? Not very good. Yeah, there's no qualifier. <laughs> no, but very good happens only after humans are created. Right? And, and it happens in a nice order. I mean, I needed that so that we could do these cool things later that were way more complicated and fun. I mean, like, so, yeah, I mean, it's good, but it's not super good and really, really exceptionally good. Like we could slow God said it was very good when humans were created, but not three chapters later, God says, you know, I regret this whole thing. Let's just, <laughs> we're done. So I would not put too much stock in let, that. Let me just say, I don't like Aquinas. <laughs> I like all those Neoplatonic people that didn't get read. But I do think Such it was- Such a theologian. <laughs> like, I do think like it- it has been a, a serious, right? Like the, the simplicity of the great chain of being and the ways in which it has carried over in different philosophical and religious traditions has carried a lot of weight that puts us into a lot of the problems we face now. And well, getting when you, rid of it is really hard. When you look at like, like I just was remembering, you know, with Skylab and Muir and when they came down, right? And, and there was all of the, talk of, especially with, when Mirror came down, of making sure, I mean, when you think about it, the, the goal is when things re-enter the atmosphere and we know they're not going to totally burn up, it's to try to get it to land in the ocean. Um, mm -hmm. And then if, if I remember correctly, the hope is to try to clean up as much as you can, but we know that's not possible to get everything type deal. So they try to make sure that they have enough fuel and stuff to build it to do the appropriate burns to make sure it lands in the ocean and not on land where it's if it lands in the ocean, it's less likely to impact humans. Right. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> so it, we, it comes back to that whole, you know, will it impact us? Will it impact our species or not? I mean, you mm -hmm. know, I, I just don't, I don't recall a lot of conversation when those two, um, when Skylab and Muir were coming back in of, well, what's going to be the impact on the marine life? I'm not saying it didn't happen. I just don't remember that being the big part of the conversation. It was more of a, let's make sure it doesn't hit land so it doesn't hurt humans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even um, SpaceX recently had to change the the design of their um, of their Starlink satellites to take out some of the iron components be, that wouldn't totally burn up on reentry. Um, well, there was like a one in a thousand chance that it wouldn't wouldn't fully burn up. They totally changed their design so that it would completely it would completely burn up in the atmosphere, and you don't have a risk of 
hitting a, a person because they didn't want a lawsuit, essentially, if one of their satellites were to break someone's house. When in the entire history of recorded humanity, one person has ever been hit by a meteorite. <laughs> oh. But there's far fewer meteorites than there are than there are satellites. Yes, no, that's true. <laughs> so just put that one out there, right? And we haven't had that many years of things coming out of space that we put there. And can we can I just mention this was Ann Hodges and she was napping on the couch and a meteorite crashed through her house and bounced in, and hit her. Um the the podcast wow. um the memory palace has a wonderful vignette about this story and about the 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 tragedy of of how the landlord screwed her over and got rich while she stayed poor and she's the only person who we know that ever got hit by a meteorite huh. but anyway to f- on top of this in the reentry a lot of folks are now worried too that a lot of those metallic particles that are burning up in the atmosphere are going to remain in the, in the upper atmosphere. And we don't really know fully the the impact on, on climate, on, on further whatever's up there in the upper atmosphere. Like, what if there's just a ton of aluminum up there? Is that going to be reflecting sunlight? We don't really know. So the, the Japanese are actually uh, working on wooden satellites, <laughs> which... <laughs> Is so steampunk. I love it. <laughs> Putting together these special wooden alloys of, uh, I don't know. They're still working on it, but they're hoping that in the next 10 years, they'll be able to make wooden satellites. I mean, with metal components on the inside, but the outside is made out of wood. And if there's any people group who can engineer, uh, like carpentry right. engineer, it's if the them. Japanese. They're their carpentry is legendary, and I have every bit of faith in them to be able to do it. But like, that's another issue that we haven't even thought about. We could be affecting the climate of the Earth without realizing it so that we can have high-speed internet on top of Mount Everest. I, I will say, while I love like the stuff NASA does and that kind of thing, I, I do think the Japanese Space Agency is just working in creative ways that do not get nearly enough attention. And have done some amazing, mm-hmm. amazing projects um, that, that really deserve a wider, a wider eye from the general public. It would be worth talking about at some point, like why, why it is the case that it probably hasn't, um, and sort of like how that that factors in uh, in terms of public media and stuff. But I had not heard about wooden satellites, and yeah. I have to say that that has now brightened my day. <laughs> It's also made me think about wonderful assignments to propose to students going forward. Uh, That's right. Right? It's like some kids in elementary school did the egg drop experiment and like have never stopped thinking about it. That's pretty much it, right? Like, uh, I'm like, we we could definitely do some... uh, in Adam's class, they're going to design wooden satellites. Wooden satellite design. I don't, I don't have... Right? And then they'll just need to write a, a moral justification not based on the great chain of being. Mm. I am so glad that we're friends <laughs> and you're not my teacher because that yeah. – There are definitely <laughs> things you've talked about doing in your class I thought, oh, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun in my spare time, but man, that would – mm-mm, mm-mm.
Oh, man. Um, oh, man, don't oh. worry. Teaching religion and science this semester. So there'll be all sorts of ideas coming oh. from here to those poor students. <laughs> <laughs> the 10 of them don't know what they've signed up for. And now that they've listened to this, we're sorry. <laughs> yeah, because apparently Adam's students listen to the podcast. Exactly. Oh, no, no, only, only the former ones. The ones that are actually in class are too busy. So, yeah. <laughs> With their existential tread. <laughs> By the way, I have not watched the trailer yet for Netflix's Space Sweepers, a South Korean sci-fi adventure movie based on those going up to clean up space junk. But Screen Rant says it looks like Netflix's version of Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> and so, I don't know. We may need to watch this next month. Yeah. If <clears throat> this, this feels like a winner. Exactly. I, I mean – I almost want to watch it without watching it first so that our first time watching it is on the 14th. What a great Valentine's Day present that Mm -hmm. is. I just want to plug – I just want to plug our Patreon one more time that um, $3 a month gets you exclusive um, con- audio content, including some uh, guided meditations that Rachel, the wonderful overachiever, has already recorded um, and all the rest of us are still working on. And $5 a month gets you these Netflix watch parties in which I think, I mean, it seems it seems like a great idea that we're going to watch the Space Sweepers this month. So check out the website check out check out all of that and we will uh we'll see you then <laughs>